0: Taco's Kashkan won't pick it up now. You are Macaque little. I can't hanker taco, a chucky, and
1: Greetings and good day, and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart, and the whole world is a beautiful day, and it's good for all of us to be here. And this day is significant and good, and there is peace. Really is. And the people hear your voice. Let the people hear your voice respectfully. Celebrate life in addition to relativity. This is First Voices Radio. And I send you greetings and strength from the East Gate of Turtle Island, where the sun and the water touch the earth at once. And our website is First Voices Indigenous I want to thank you for your generosity as always and for being here. And you know who you are. Without you, we cannot continue. And I'm your host, Yoko St. Ghost and all-Native-hosted, all-Native-produced First Voices Radio now in its 28th year broadcasting. And First Voices Radio producer is Liz Hill. And I, today I'd like to welcome a good friend, and, and it's an honored to have him, Elnor Ladha, who focuses on the intersection of political organizing and system thinking and narrative work, and also uh, the ex, uh, the co-founder, executive director of the Rules, and uh, he also is a Sufi lineage and explores, rights about the intersection between politics and spiritual spirituality in troubled times. So I'd like to introduce Elnor. Thank you for being on, on the radio here, uh, First Voices Radio. Elnor, welcome.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tioka It's an honor to be on uh, First Voices. I'm, I'm a big fan of the show.
1: Uh, thank you. You know, Elnor, you put out many pieces and, you know, it ma- makes me think a lot about, you know, but what are we, what are we really talking about out here? Because I, I can f- get finished listening to Democracy Now! I can listen to all the, the news waves coming out. And it's, it's the next wave after next wave, and it gets a little tiring after a while. And mentally, people aren't constructed to to hear this, but they suffer. They're, they're getting from one wave to the other, and we're stretching a little bit. That humanity within every event that's worldwide, and and uh, we either approach it philosophically, with scientifically, we look for logic for things that are happening. We go to prophecy. We go to history. We go to religion. Um, and yet there are people who have really seen through all of, all of that, which I just mentioned, and we know it's not working. You know, things are, are like a B rated movie out here. We could say COVID, we could say the presidency, we could say the climate change, we could say this justice, that injustice. And yet there, there's gotta be some kind of, uh, 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 um, uh, simplicity going on here, of thought processes. Um, we, we could talk about the, the planetary history uh, and even the Anthropocene. Anthropocene, And what happens to humans through all of this is somewhat, is it, to me, is anthropocentric. We are constantly dealing with what we as humans are going through. And I'm, I'm often looking towards other life forms, not just up, upstairs where... You know, there's a heaven and there's UFOs, but there's actually something happening here on the ground. And I'm just going to lay that little kind of framework out there, Elnor, and let you go with this. And people are going to get this little conversation between two good friends and what we think out here because we, we have a different way of, I, I would say it's a different way because I know being different without trying to be different is different. And I think that's why we... we, we uh we have First Forces Radio. We have little uh, campfires going on rather than the big bonfire happening that people are paying attention to. I'll uh, just let you go with that. Elnore, good morning, and thank you from Costa Rica.
2: Yeah, beautiful. Thank you for the, the intro and the and the prompt. Um, yeah, I think maybe the place to start is uh, there's a, there's an old adage, and sometimes it's been attributed to Antonio Gramsci, Uh, and I'm actually not sure who who originally said it, but the line is, we are prisoners of context in the absence of meaning. We're prisoners of context in the absence of meaning. And I feel that is in the post-truth world, uh, this is uh, infinitely true right now. Uh, And it's not true for everyone, um, because if if you break down that sentence, you know, we are prisoners of context— on one level, that is true for everyone, because the, what, what is the context? Well, the context is late-stage capitalism. You know there's nobody who's outside the, the, the culture of globalized industrial extractivism. You know some people call it neoliberalism, some people call it market fundamentalism. Well, whatever you want to call it, you can just call it capitalism if you want. But it is the operating system. It is the encasement. It is the, the oxygen by which we are breathing. And with it comes all of the intricacies of the, the, the psychosis of modernity. So you have the sort of colonial mindset within that. You have patriarchy. You have white supremacy. They're all interlinked in a complex that is imposed on us from the moment we're born. We, we, we're born into a world where everything is mediated by debt-based currency, where we live, what we spend our free time doing, what we do for our "quote unquote" careers, um, our uh, you know, essentially, you know, in some ways, our freedom is is directly linked to the system that's been imposed. So that's the context. And then when we get to the back half of that sentence, the absence of meaning. Well, that's really only true in the Western context. I would say, you know, intact indigenous cultures. Um, you know, and, and not just the indigenous, uh, the First Nations of North America or Latin America, but, you know, uh, huge parts of China still have an indigenous culture. Uh, huge parts of the Middle East still have an indigenous culture. Huge parts of Africa still have indigenous cultures. And they're embedded in meaning because they have a relationship to their ancestral lines. They have a relationship in the form of a deep interdependence with place. and And that's where meaning comes from. And so for the rest of us who have been pushed into this uh, atomized, disassociated, uh, displaced disillusionment that we call modernity or capitalist modernity, we are prisoners of context in the absence of meaning. And so we don't know what to believe. And, and it, makes it, we, we, it makes us very susceptible targets to, to uh, the patriotism, the racism, the xenophobia, the, the fear of nature, the fear of the other, and, and that's the state we're in. We're just in this whirlwind, and people want to make it seem like uh, oh, COVID did X or the recession is doing Y, and it's like, well, actually, these are just symptoms and the, the natural logical outcome of the system we've created. They're not externalities, as economists tell us, like some unfortunate byproduct. No, climate change, ecological destruction is the logical outcome of capitalism. Inequality is the logical outcome of capitalism. Racism, impoverishment, bigotry, uh, genderism, these are all the logical outcomes of a set of rules we've created that reward a certain type of person, i.e. the psychopath.
1: When I'm listening to you say, say these, um, these thought processes, I'm often wondering, okay, I can go there, but I... How do I get back? In other words, when I, as a a Lakota, I can go there, but yet the meaning is there. It's the default thinking. It's it's not a psychological. We we don't have to make up new psychological fields in order to get through our next our next harnessed thought here. Um, But when I think about capitalism or any system that is foreign to indigenous being, I often wonder about, you know, okay, we are in the late stage of capitalism. We could, we could talk about, you know, how the next war is going to be, or we can predict things according to the late stages of capitalism. This leads to the deterioration. Then we spread it thin, and we spread, you know, the bread and butter, like this is supposed to happen to everybody. But isn't that, Eleanor? isn't that someone who is in control of the present thought, and they use the same... The same butter, which is fear, to spread across the world, the bread, and and then yet we we are we are going to solve our problem the same way we solved World War Two, World mm-hmm. War One, Vietnam, is is we keep getting thicker in the jelly, in the jelly of it, and then we mm-hmm. sh- we shake mm-hmm. and we quiver until until mm-hmm. we're psychologically drained, and so we just kind of mm-hmm. bow down to the next savior coming coming on.
2: So so yeah, I I, and I get what you're saying completely, right? Which is which is, okay, so, like, in some ways, d- does the analysis matter, right? And so I think the reason it matters is not just for political reasons. I, I-, I also think there's a spiritual reason that we, we need to understand what's going on. And in and a simple—and I-, I don't also pretend to know what's going on. I'm just uh, wondering aloud, and I- I'm giving a sort of framework for, okay, well, if— Capitalism is the oxygen by which we breathe. Well, maybe we need to look at our breaths. Maybe we have to look at how colonized our bodies are and our minds are, and and not to be in despair about it. But um, it's it's in in some ways uh, it, it helps with the directionality to the way out, right? And so if you think of and in some ways it's very simple, right? Like if you think of the capitalism, neoliberalism, this operating system that we're all embedded in as a complex, adaptive, evolutionary system, it's alive. You know, all these Silicon Valley people are waiting for the singularity, and the singularity already exists, so we're in it, right? We, we have a totalizing system that is controlling every aspect of our lives. And we used to have many ways to um, live in the world, and and uh, exchange from fishing, farming, bartering, gifting, gathering, hunting, etc. And now there's one primary means to acquire anything and everything, which is largely U.S.-based or whatever debt-based fiat capital. And so when you're in that environment, you have a choice. You can either say that this system is morally correct, and then you know your life gets set on a certain trajectory. You want to go to the establishment university and get the establishment job, or you could see that as, as uh, deeply sick, a sick system. And, you know, this is where it becomes tricky, right? Because especially the New Age and you know, a lot of spiritual people will say, well, you're in judgment. You know, you're calling one percenters psychotic uh, or the system psychotic. And I think the way to sort of reconcile what seems mm-hmm. like uh, dueling thoughts is to go into the non-duality, which is just simultaneous realities exist. And so, yes, there is a system that reward. Like, what's the logic of the system? Well, you just look around you, right? You don't even need a lot of analysis. You just look around you. Right? It's extractive. It's, it, it rewards short-termism. It rewards greed. It rewards selfishness. It's not even like these are hidden agendas. This is not a conspiracy. It's explicit. You know, like the basis of economics is the idea of of the the invisible hand that if we're all pursue if we all pursue our selfishness, somehow this perfect equilibrium will be created. And it's not just it, it, you know we know through 50 plus years of econometric data that this is uh, a complete fallacy, it's a complete lie. And yet it's the dominant ideology of the West. We believe human beings are selfish. Inherently greedy, violent when they're left on their own. And so all that's happening in the dominant worldview is the self-fulfillment of uh, religious ideology and belief in what human beings are. And so to disassociate yourself from that and say, okay, the, the role of establishment culture is to build this extractive, concentrated wealth sort of a uh, high-rise, quote-unquote, clean culture. (laughs) You know, it's a a disinfectant culture. Uh, It's a flattening culture. and And it can't handle indeterminacy or complexity or diversity. And so it wants to just concrete, pave, cement over everything. And that's its logic. So once you can identify that, then you have the ability and the choice to step outside of that logic and say, I don't identify with that. I'm actually a conscientious objector to the dominant culture, and when you do that, then you can start. <laughs> then, then the the where do I go from here can start. But if you're in the in the Gulf Stream of that logic, well, you, we see what happens. We see what colonized thought does, even to and especially to Black, Brown people, Indigenous people, people of color, uh, and our uh, white siblings. You know, it's globalization and colonization and wetico, you know, the indigenous concept of cannibalism. Uh, these these are mimetic ideas. They're in the world of means and the world of ideas. And they're they're um, communicable, they're like diseases. You catch them. And so we've all caught aspects of this. So the, all the analysis does is it it helps you go into the deprogramming. You say, Okay, well I know what the, the sickness and the impoverishment of our times is. I know what the impoverishment of Western culture is. I therefore can now start this other process, which is both a spiritual and political process, which is the decolonization and the deprogramming of our hearts, our minds, our bodies, and our souls. And that's the reason to to engage in this analysis
1: this double blind online magazine that you wrote for um conscious capitalism is an alibi and an apology for our existing paradigm and i take the last one apology for our existing paradigm it's it's like we look for for excuses to be where we're at now yet not really doing anything about where we're at now so we we tend to um be predators at the same time we're apologizing, and then I see that more or less as an exceptionalism, an American exceptionalism, a, a Western paradigm, I guess you'd say, to to stay within. And I know you've you talked about this before, but we often attach a lot of things like moral revival, but that moral revival is often saying, in the end, no sin. Right, we treat each other accordingly mm-hmm. to, to this book, rather than the humanity that came before the book, where books were written. And I often think about you know little kind of round around statements. are climate justice is racial justice, and racial justice is climate justice. But no one's talking about the earth really. It, it's almost we've lost the words to talk about the earth and how well it was for us because. Uh, modern modernity, as you say, is is uh, the civility of our minds to go back to the democracy of logic, or logic of democracy, is to say that these primitive people, these indigenous peoples, were not humans, or not human enough, because we ran around and dug roots, and you know had wars and all this. Yet the earth was beautiful and in balance. And to me, there's a huge chasm. From analyzing where we're at to trying to get back there, rather than dealing with what we have on the ground in this consciousness, consciousness, rather than to try to raise our consciousness and kind of lift off and, and bypass what we're really where we're really at.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Completely. And, and you know, to, to riff off of that is to say, actually, the, to be of place and to be um, symbiotic with land is what a highly advanced, spiritually advanced, present mind, and, and I I don't say mind in the ego sense, mind as in mind in service to the heart, uh, integrated being, that's what they're capable of. But the, the immature, childish mind that is fed by its ego and by its wound is always going to look for a distraction, because they can't be of place, because... The, the, the distracted mind, it's, its trajectory is up and out of the body. So it's up and out of presence. And so it looks to conquer. It looks to imperialize. It looks to, uh, um, quote-unquote, develop you know, other parts of the world. And that trauma feeds upon itself. And so that, that stunted spiritual growth, the sort of childish ego of the West, that migrated from the Fertile Crescent to Europe proper, to Turtle Island and all over the world, um, it's never had the, the, the calm and the peace and the integrity of being a place because it's constantly running away from itself. And so this, this is what, I, what I'm trying to refer to in this article around conscious capitalism. I'm not saying you shouldn't do a better form of capitalism. Clearly, we're all stuck in the complexity and the, the contradiction of what it is to be in an enmeshed totalitarian capitalist system. But I'm saying, let's not pretend that's the answer. Clearly, like, if I'm going to engage with money, I'm going to do it in a way that there's no hierarchy. If I'm going to engage in a business, I'm going to open a cooperative. I, I'm going to engage in these practices that bring some humanity to our current psychosis. But I'm not pretending that's the answer, because the answer is a structural Radical reimagining and revolutionary rethinking of the existing system, which is a complete decolonization of of all aspects of the Western mind, which are even are are within me, you know. And that's why when I I judge, uh, you know, whoever uh, Donald Trump, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Bill Gates, and uh, Obama, whoever uh, is you know is the current apparatchik of, of, of the system. I'm not saying they are other. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know at the highest level there's unity consciousness, and simultaneously there's moral agency and responsibility, and they have chosen to incarnate in those roles, and they are playing the role of the villain in this cosmic drama. And both are true at the same time. Would I prefer a world where they didn't exist and we had higher quality problems? Of course I do. And, and actually it's important to voice that, because that's part of my prayer to the living universe.
1: And, and that prayer, as, as we see, it meets out in how, how we respond to, as far as I'm concerned, Elnor, is how I'm responding to the earth, m- much less to people, because people will mm-hmm. always be as crazy as they want to be or think they can be or have the right to be. And we can say that individually. But when I see them and mm-hmm. how they're treating the earth, nothing there has really changed coming from the West. So when I, when I was growing up, I saw these hippies, another gen, uh, generation, a few years older than I was, is they said things well, we have to drop out of society. And, and in, in your, your article, you had a part about disidentification dis from the dominance system. And it doesn't mean the same thing because a lot of those drop out of society um, were, were actually are now in charge. They are in charge of this country. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and the president uh-huh. is one of them. Where is where's the mix uh-huh. and where is the dis- disconnect there?
2: Well, well, the disconnect is they didn't know what to drop into. You know that that that's and and this this generation even more than the hippie generation, um, at least in the 60s there was a more sophisticated understanding of of uh, power and structure. So, you know they they at least got you know one third of the the calculus right. You know and and in this in this generation. Um, There's no clear understanding of, you know, there's the Timothy Leary's right prophetic plea, turn on, tune in, drop out. But they don't, A, there's not a clear understanding of what are we turning on to, and then what are we tuning into, and then what are we dropping out of. And at least the hippies understood what to drop out of, you know, uh, consensus culture. Um, This generation, what they're dropping out of is, uh, one form of extractive capitalism to another form of, you know, slightly better reformist conscious capitalism. And the key is exactly what you say. It's, it's in the middle there. It's tune in. What are you tuning into? And this is what, you know, I, I know you've said this before, uh, Tiokasen. The, the default logic, uh, which is the the logic of the earth. Tuning into the resident, resonance of, of Pachamama, the, you know, the, uh, the only true casing there is for the human experience. The only true embedment there is is our embedment with the living planet because we are not living outside of it or separate to it. We are living through it and it is living through us, hopefully, if we were a companion species, which <laughs> we're obviously not. And so that's the missing piece. It's like you could drop out, you could, you could um, uh, be a conscientious objector to, to, to capitalism and disidentify with the dominant system, but you have to know where you are going to, what is the, the antidote logic into which you, you, you will be caressed by, right? And, and the argument I'm trying to make in this, in this piece is that, um, the, and I'm not saying it's the antidote, but I'm saying an antidote to that is, uh, is animism. And what, what's the opposite of anim- Animism just means everything is alive, everything is animate. Well, there can be no opposite to animism, because anything that opposes animism would essentially not be true by uh, the Western logic's own creation of the scientific method. Everything is alive. Everything is made of the same atoms and molecules. Everything is consciousness. And, and this is what we're learning from neuroscience. This is what we're learning from quantum physics. And so science is now catching up and still is light years behind uh, indigenous wisdom. And so, you know, the the sort of rationalism and this belief that this limited, childlike, uh, wounded, uh, traumatized Western archetypal mind could outthink uh, a living entelechy of a planet on the scale of Gaia is a level of hubris and insanity that's beyond words. And so the antidote is to to try to plug in to this greater entelechy, to this greater being, humbly, to bow your head literally into the soil and ask the mother how you be of service. And there is no purpose in life beyond that. That's what I'm arguing. You know, all, all these Silicon Valley people and um, I have a lot of one percenters and, and people in my field who ask me, uh, what should I do? Here's what's happening in my career. I'm conflicted. I don't know what my purpose is. And it's like this idea of purpose is so deeply problematic. It's just another colonized construct to prevent you from being in symbiosis with the natural world. You know, dolphins are not asking their purpose. Howler monkeys are not asking their purpose. Geckos are not asking their purpose. It's like your job is to pray. It's to walk into a room and pray for the soul of every living thing, human and more than human. And ask for your instructions from the, the, the broader being that is our mother. And if you can do that, well, maybe your success will be a consequence of that prayer. But to pray, the, the way the, the West has sort of, and especially the New Age, has bastardized this, this power of manifestation we have is into things like The Secret, you know, and Tony Robbins, and I'm going to pray for that new house or the, the Porsche or whatever. And it, it's a form of black magic. It's a form of uh, a disconnected materialism. It's on a spiritual level, creating contracts with energies and entities. They have no idea what they're getting involved with. And the default logic of being in resonance and in tune with the, the, the natural world, the animate planet, is, for me, the, 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 the starting place of all possibilities. Um,
1: Elnor... Latah is a Sufi from the Sufi lineage, and he writes about politics and spirituality and troubled times. And what I was thinking as you were going on, El Noor is uh, you know I often say we Westerners educate the wisdom out of ourselves, out of themselves. And 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 someone says, well, can you explain that a little differently because. I often think that we all need education. And to me, it's not really knowing the language we're speaking from or of. And as you say, it's a form of black magic. And we don't look far enough into the language we're speaking. Because if we can make rain come, is that black magic? If we can, you know, ask a plant to grow, is that black magic without the science, without the chemicals, without the machinery to make a plant grow, help a plant grow? So when I think about this educating the wisdom out of ourselves, is uh, when when I can go outside, right, to explain it differently, simply, is when I go outside, I look to that tree and I say, hey, tree, are you political? There's no answer. And uh, are you scientific? <laughs> there's there's no answer. Are you religious? There's no answer. A tree is a tree, always in, in helpful form, always in danger form, right? It's, it depends. Depends how much we respect that tree. And I think respect is the communication that we missed just from everything rather than the prestige of how much money you have or how much you know. So when, when to me, it, the the uh, I would say the experience that we're looking for is said st- in statements like Stephen Biko, like Sitting Bull or Crazy Horse or Malcolm X or Asada Shakur or, or you know, Tupac, all of these... These folks have, have, had had a, an experience with the oppression, with the oppressor's mind, with the oppressor's, you know, how they, 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 they experienced the consequences of thinking differently. When I think about how we interact with that natural world and we tend to think of ourselves more than that natural world, it's... It's the other way around. Like we belong to the earth rather than our property. Our property this belongs to us. And I think there's mm-hmm. that. That's the, the first toxicity going on is that that sense of ownership. Your thoughts?
2: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. I look from a from a Sufi perspective. The the and from many mystical traditions, including many indigenous traditions. The, the purpose of spiritual practice is to transcend the subject-object duality, to get beyond the I- identity of the small I and then to merge into that broader consciousness. That's when the expansion happens. That's literally why we do uh, meditation and yoga and uh, work with plant allies and teachers and do fasting and whirling dervish dancing. and All of that is to get to the state where there is no me. And, and not, but it's non dualistic. There's simultaneously no me, and there is me in my incarnated individual body trying to arrive back home, which is that unity consciousness. And if that is the, the sole practice of a culture, and that culture is embedded in place, well, your ability to then access the divine is directly due to your sort of. Uh, piece of geography within the Gaian whole. You know, nothing is separate. Uh, Everything is entangled. Even your ability to access the divine is completely entangled with what you call home. And so when one of these pieces is missing, whether it's home or the concept of home, or whether it's your connection to the past, your ancestral lineage behind you, or your connection to the future, which is the emergent prayer that is coming through your intention, or... Your connection above, which is this sort of transcendence, you're lost. And uh, in the West, all four of those factors above, below, parallel. And then, of course, there's the, 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 the horizontal plane. You know, if you look at the two hands, there, there's a, a teacher named Francis Welland who talks about um, the two hands are, are grief and gratitude, you know, sort of mourning what is. Uh, and, and, you know, the destruction of this planet and the temporariness of human existence, and also the gratitude, the shukran, of of all the bounty and all the entanglement. And so there's this whole sort of complex of beings and factors uh, around us that we're embedded in. And so as soon as one of these is missing, and in this case, the, the desire for a transcendental human experience is gone, and you just your relationship is with the material realm and is defined by what you own and what you have access to and status and personal property, it's, it's essentially the, the lowest form of consciousness, of experience, you could wish for. And so, in, in some ways, you know, part of what's happening right now as late-stage capitalism is dissolving is the living universe is asking us, dream a better dream, pray a better prayer, a bigger prayer, because the, the idea that you own anything is so small and so limited and is the cause of your separation with the broader whole. And, and private property in most uh, wisdom traditions was seen as uh, a sin, you know, a, a, a unnatural crime. And, you know, you look at even Sharia law, for example, in Islam, the idea of usury, the idea that you could charge interest on something that doesn't even belong to you anyways and somebody needs more than you is is, is a was a high sin and so i think part of what's happening now is that we're 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 realizing that this bankrupt house of cards we've built on the quicksand of fossil fuels and extraction and consumption and short-term gratification is is falling apart and part of us, our higher self, is also like, thank God, or thank gods, or thank goddesses, you know, thank all the deities that this is happening. Um, and and what we're turning to, and, and this is a controversial point, and I'd actually love to hear your perspective on this, Siokasen, is what we're turning to is realizing that the, the wisdom traditions that had a direct lineage to our shared ancestors and uh, understanding how to live in symbiosis with the natural world and, and our... Uh, Hunter-gatherer symbiotic past uh, are are and kept you know at least some of the 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 spiritual technologies uh, that can access the 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 psychic spiritual cognitive powers that we all possessed at one point outside of this current context and we, we we're now looking to those people to indigenous people to mystical traditions for a way out and it's deeply ironic. And there, there's and one level of poetic justice to it. Uh, you know, in the, in the Brazilian, in the Amazon, there's a, the saying of cura de terra, you know, the cure of the earth. Indigenous people are the cure of the earth. And it's said with such a confidence, you know, cura de terra. They, they know, you know, and, and the, the natural world knows, right? Indigenous people are, are 5% of the world's population. They're stewarding 80% plus of the world's biodiversity. Wherever Indigenous people are left, to be in relationship with the land, there's uh, more biodiversity, uh, higher quality of life, healthy ecosystems, healthy biomes, and and uh, clearly, we look at Western culture with a deep level of apathy and ennui and uh, uh, depression and trauma and violence, and we're like, this culture is bankrupt. It's lost its way. It's actually it's actually misdirected our entire planetary civilization to the brink of collapse. And so now we're looking to indigenous cultures to say save us after the the atrocities and the genocides and the ecocides and the, the you know the spiritual crimes that has been conducted on first peoples around the world. And so we're in this very strange moment of uh, a fluidity and unsurety and uncertainty and that's a beautiful place to be. And yet the western mind is going to resist and the you know the PC the politically correct lefty is going to say, "Well, let's not co-opt their culture. Let's not reify them. Uh, you know, let's not lionize them." And and the the right winger is going to say, "Well, uh, they're not as quote unquote advanced. We need to develop them." But but their higher selves know that they're at a spiritual, civilizational, cultural, political, cognitive dead end. There's no way out for the Western mind right now. And so on. on there's a there's a Multiple levels of, of usury and dependence that is only going to increase as we realize the only way out of this mess is indigenous knowledge systems and uh, the original instructions.
1: Yeah, that, thank you for all of that, Eleanor. It, it's really, you know, when I when I was thinking the processes through and looking out at the tree to say, hey, help me, tell, tell help me say what I need to say here through the heart rather than through the brain, and it said, well. Right, right, right angle thinking doesn't exist. And we are tethered to mm-hmm. this illusion. We're tethered, tethered to an illusion that we don't know how to let go of. In other words, we don't have the exit strategy language or the the, the language to sever that illusion. So we have to keep it going. And. And when I think about what happens here is if we're tethered to an illusion, yet the earth is keeping, uh, we, we as indigenous folks, and I can speak uh, generally for this uh, individually, I can say I, I've kept uh, these visions of the earth For so long, even before it was environmental, you know, the cause was environmental or climate justice or climate change. And they're saying to trust science, which is, you know, falling back on their default thinking once again, is that the the earth has no lies. The earth has no illusion. Mm -hmm. The the earth will not fool Mm -hmm. you. The earth is here to, to tell you how to be how to hold consciousness rather than the conscience of of doing right or wrong according to the system, so when i 'm thinking in, about how one engages and you 've said some things there about the Sufi lineages and other indigenous cultures across the across the world actually that you know they tie in with the language the language the languages have have gotten to a certain point that they continue to evolve within the earth the uh, the uh, the layers of the earth the the dimensions of the Earth, because the Earth is changing always to try to adjust to the ones who are not behaving conducively with her so in in that same sense. Um, civilizations have no respect for, for that. They're demanding rules and regulations where where cultures are only of respect, respect for all life, including those civilizations. And this is why we don't have to react the way, you know, to march in the streets and go out and do it, you know, the, the way we're supposed to do it, you know, and that's why we'll win freedom. Mm-hmm. And we were talking in, in freedom you know confines of freedom and when I think about this what happens what happens to the person you know we're still continuing on something that we think because they're telling us history says so and yet that history is controlled Uh by who and then when I come come Uh come backwards and I look towards that tree once again that's the future that's the past. That's mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. So so what is the big deal with everybody getting into this mental contusion of, you know, something else is going to happen because we are supposed to make things happen as as uh, civilized people because we're stuck stuck into the progressionality. Or the The, the reality uh-huh. progress, and we can 't come out of that it 's the old manifest destiny uh-huh. coming we 're going to save the world, and so if we can 't save it then we 're look to the indigenous peoples to, to save us. Well, I have news we 're not going to save the world for you, let alone you know understanding that the earth is saving it for us anyway she 's doing the saving herself, so that 's what we have to do uh-huh. If we let her go and we, we let go and we let go the tethers. Uh, to that illusion that we can save anything, mm-hmm. I think there's a start there. Mm-hmm. Now we, exactly. we let up, we let up as as humans a little bit because of this COVID, you know. And look what happened to the Earth. Somewhat of a little comeback here, but now we're into it, the throes mm-hmm. of it again. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, what you said uh, summarizes so much of it, right? The the, the linear idea of progress. Is part of the hubris. It's part of the arrogance, right? And um, in 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 true wisdom cultures, which uh, you know most people don't have access to, especially those who live in the West, um, history is not linear. It's not a progression. And this is also what what quantum physics is teaching us: is time is not linear. It's a multivalent phenomena. And you know, for example, in the Indian tradition, the idea of the cycles and the yugas, which also the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Incas had, had versions of. Um, and, of course, the Lakota and the Hopi and, and other advanced civilizations. So, to, the part of the decolonization process for us, uh, for those who have been socialized in the West, uh, uh, as I have, um, is to, is to deprogram... This notion of uh, human exceptionalism and anthropocentric thinking, which is very difficult to do, but it's, it's, not, it's not like a key switch. You just turn it. It's, it's a practice. And part of that practice is, uh, is the practice of, of animism versus materialism. And, and part of that practice is dialogue with the living planet rather than domination. And you can't be in dialogue. It's a being greater than you unless you are in humility. And so th- these are kind of the, 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 the choices we have right now. Is, and, and this is non-binary, and I'm, I'm not saying this in a binary way, but, but um, I'm saying it in a non-dualistic way and in a, in a kind of cyclical way, let's say, of, of moving from the, the, the idea of progress to the idea of uh, symbiotic cyclical co-evolution moving from the idea of uh, domination to the idea of discourse and dialogue with a more-than-human world, with, with uh, sort of being and beings uh, greater than us, to understand that we are the youngest evolutionary species on this planet, not the wisest. And uh, that also requires coming from a place of, of, of wonder rather than knowing, and, and coming from humility rather than hubris. And for some people, that's a very uncomfortable place to be, because what colonized mind hates the most is indeterminacy, its ambiguity, you know, it's this fear of chaos, because the, the, the Western project, you, you could say the project of whiteness, or the project of, and I don't mean that in an identity perspective, uh, the, the project of capitalism, the project of, of uh, imperialism, of colonialism, has been to remove uncertainty, to impose quote-unquote, order, which is never achieved, which is why that that childish, egoic Western mind is never satisfied and needs to consume more and extract more and destroy more because it's searching for an order that does not exist. And our spiritual practice and our political practice is to surrender to the indeterminacy, to surrender to the perceived chaos, because chaos will ask of you, what order never can. The ambiguity will push you to states of psychic power that equilibrium can't even initiate that process. And so the, 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 the sort of redemption, in some ways, if you will, of, of the colonized controlling mind comes from surrendering and humbling yourself at the feet of the mother, and, and that's a, a sort of a Sufi perspective on it, but it's also in some ways an anarchist perspective on it. You know, it's a, in order for us to do that, we, we have to be a place. And we, you know, in some ways, the, the opposite of globalization is localization. And the opposite of uh, sort of neoliberalism is really anarchism, not, not anarchy as in chaos. Uh, but anarchism as a sophisticated political philosophy, which is the role of government, should be to localize power. The people who live at a community level know what's best, but they only know what's best if they're in dialogue with the natural environment and the living planet and the, the living geography around them. And this is really the transition phase, and this is the shift we're coming to as a species. And either climate change is going to force us to live in small, autonomous communities Where we are in dialogue and deep relationship, intimate relationship, you could argue, erotic relationship with the living environment, or we're going to be forced to live in small dystopian, disconnected communities once these massive transitions happen. And you're right; it's not. This is not about saving the world. Even the idea of saving the world is such a hubristic Western thought. It's the the world doesn't need saving. It's we who need saving. It's we who need redemption. And that possibility only exists if we're willing to humble ourselves to the emergence of what could be.
1: We're speaking with Alnor Latha, good friend, and just talking about times, the current times, and discussing what's you know coming from his heart and wanting to get out there through the message. The bigger message, of course, is. That- and when I go back to this, Alnor is one uh, more. We're, we're get, getting out of time here, as usual. <laughs> we're getting warmed up here. It's, time is getting short here. So I was thinking about. I, I often get tired of hearing the new narrative. You know, we go into the new narrative, the new story, but who's controlling that story again from the outset? Mm-hmm. But then when I get down to, oh, it's the identity that we have as Americans, as identity, then I look at the word id, id, it could either mean ego or could mean that, Entity, mm-hmm. meaning it's outside of ourselves. Again, we're we're chasing this illusion of because we don't know who we are anymore. we we've we've got into this bio this this duality of that other thing that that entity. So we aren't who we are. We're looking at this new narrative, and and yet who's in, who's going to control that? Just for a few few minutes of thought, Eleanor. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. What's the new narrative? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, as soon as the word new appears, there's a, there should be, uh, for those who are practicing decolonization and animism, a warning flag, <laughs> because uh, newness is part of innovation, and, uh, you know, like Columbus thought he discovered the new world, right? And uh, new is an alibi and an excuse for consumption, and uh, innovation is a distraction, for the, the childish id-like mind that needs to think it's thinking its way out of what is actually happening. And the, the new story is not concocted by smart people in weekend workshops at Esalen or Findhorn or whatever. The, 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 the new and ancient story is emerging through our remembering of how to live in symbiosis with the natural world. And that is a practice that is sort of revealing itself through our quotidian, day-to-day interaction with the more-than-human world and the gain in that is omnipresent. And so people ask me all the time, you know, what, what should I do? And, you know, as both a mystic and an anarchist, it's a very hard question for me to answer because I, I, I don't want to tell anyone what to do. But the question I ask is, well, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? That, that takes you to the logical conclusion of what needs to happen. And that's not a, that's not an, there's no new narrative that is required for you to look at what you are doing now. And uh, there's a teacher uh, who I, I know you know as well, Fiocas and Stephen Jenkinson, who I think would be great for the show, um, who's a Canadian man, an elder, um, and he talks about the word uh, awake. He, he loves etymologies. And he says, you know, all these uh, sort of New Age people who talk about awake like being woke, being conscious. And the etymological root of awake is uh, comes from like the wake of a, a ship as, as it's moving in the water, the, the, the wake that fans out behind it. And so it's more akin to being aware of the consequences of your action. And if there is a new and ancient story emerging, uh, it's the, this, this is where I think directionality-wise we should be looking, is how do we become aware of the consequences of our actions? If we could just do that, we would be an infinitely more useful species in the planetary biosphere right now. (laughs) You know, just that. Because the amount of life it is required to prop up one Western life is incomprehensible. It is. And we want to create a new system without any sacrifice. You know, that's why I was calling conscious capitalism the economic equivalent of Diet Coke. We want more and more and more with less and less and less consequences. But the opposite is true. Everything has its effect. And so the more we want and we desire and we consume, the, the exponential the implications are, especially if we're seeing ourselves as a growing planetary body of, of sapiens sapiens, which we are. There's a collective responsibility to how we show up and how we live. On this fragile
1: living planet. Uh, thank you. Honor, very, very big honor to have you here, Eleanor. And thank you. You know, my three, three favorite words out of this whole thing is is very wise. I don't know, and who knows? Mm-hmm. And who knows? We can, you know, say all we want, but when the feeling comes down to it, we don't know, which is a perfect, innocent place to be. And every moment is innocent. Mm-hmm. I forgot. I think we forgot how to understand what innocent means you know, because we often attach mm-hmm. guilt to it. But, yeah, but I mm-hmm. want to thank you for your time here, Elnor. It's uh, so good to have you uh, on on this mountain radio station. Thanks again.
2: It's an honor. It's an honor. And thank you so much, Teokerson, for your work and what you do in the world and 28 years of service to, to get the, the alternative narratives and the antidote memes, let's say, out there. And one of your lines always, uh, and to, also to the... Um, First Voices Indigenous Radio crew, Liz, and, and everyone else who, who does this work, um, uh, largely as, as, as volunteers and for the, for the love of, uh, of of the planet, really. And one of the lines of yours that actually always sticks with me is your play on, on Descartes' line, I think, therefore I am, and you you uh, remixed it into we think, therefore we are. That's and right. so I, I want to thank you and uh, deep gratitude and shukran.
1: Thank you so much, honor. Well, until next time, take care.
2: Until next time.
1: And this is First Voices Radio. My name is Tiokas and Ghost Source. Thank you for joining us here all the way from wherever you are listening with those long ears and uh, how beautiful you are to be a human being and stay being a human. And uh, we'll, we'll go on and we'll see you next week. And thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio.